Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. You're listening to BGN Radio. Why would you listen to any other Eagles <laughs> podcast with John Stolness and Brandon Lee Galvin? Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to BGN Radio. This is episode number 43. I'm John Stolness from BleedingGreenNation.com. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. We weren't expecting this when we were getting ready for the podcast, but an emergency podcast. The Eagles acquired Jordan Howard from the Chicago Bears, and because we are the only Eagles podcast in existence, we are here to break it all down for you. Joining me to do that is the brains behind BleedingGreenNation.com. May he forever reign. Brandon Lee Gowton. You can follow Follow him on Twitter at Brandon Gowton. BLG, my friend, we have some news to talk about. And the Eagles finally addressed the one position that they hadn't gotten around to do anything about here in the offseason. They got themselves a running back. It's an exciting time, John. The Eagles finally got a running back. There are so many things to dissect with this trade and breakdown and which we'll do here. But number one has to be the most important thing. I mean, I think we know now that after the Eagles trade for Jordan Howard, that Howard Roseman does indeed listen to BGN Radio because why else would the Eagles make Mm -hmm. this trade on a Thursday night right before our regular recording time other than Howard Roseman wanted us to really break down this trade and he wanted to hear our reaction. There's no doubt about it in my mind. I mean, obviously, you know, when you when you've got two heavyweights like us, my friend, you got to <laughs> we you know, we got to drop the knowledge. I'm just anyway, I'm just kidding. Um, But no, you're right, man. I mean, this is this is great stuff. And uh, this was obviously a huge area of need for the Eagles here this offseason. They had to do something at running back played three years for the Bears. Uh, they got him for just a sixth-round pick, BLG, that could turn into a fifth-rounder. Are you surprised at the compensation level? I mean, a sixth-round pick is nothing here. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised in the sense that I think Jordan Howard, like, I don't think he should have had a lot of value. I mean, he's coming off a season where he averaged, what, 3.7 yards per carry. Um, he's on the last year of his deal. I, I don't see why he would have, like, immense value. And he's a running back. <laughs> like, those just aren't yeah. very valued in today's NFL. I don't really see how he would have tremendous value but in the sense that you know the Eagles got him for this cheap yes I mean I I guess I am a little bit surprised in that sense that this is all it took I mean it's not even a six this year it's a six next year and it's conditional on the condition I'm sure there's a certain amount of rushing yards or game appearances there's some kind of condition but I mean look if the Eagles end up having to give up a fifth for Jordan Howard that's a good thing you know that means you all have hit that condition and that'll be a good thing to have happened um it is surprising in the sense that you know I guess it did cost not this much at all for the Eagles they were able to fix their running back position a huge hole in the roster clearly um you know that's just been a huge topic this week at the owners meetings obviously fans and sports radio have been calling in we've been talking about it it's just been such an obvious gaping hole in the Eagles roster and just last week on last week's BGN radio episode I was kind of talking about how I feel like Howie Roseman usually goes through free agency and he kind of fills these holes on the roster with like some kind of piece where you don't have to go into the draft having to reach for a position clearly and with running back it wasn't looking like that before they made this move because they just had nothing really on the roster like they had to do something in the draft and now I think they still will but they don't have to anymore like they don't have to yeah. take Josh Jacobs at 25 
because they have Jordan Howard and they can get by with that. And hopefully they still do add a running back. Yes, but like they don't have to. They don't. It's not something they right. need to force. And I just think that's the upside of the Jordan Howard trade. I wrote down my pros and cons here. Do you want me to get to those, John? Yeah, let's do it. Let's knock them out. Okay. So I think, you know, there's there's things to like, and I think there's some things I don't like. My first reaction, like my guttural reaction before I put any really thought or analysis <laughs> into this was like, eh. Like I wasn't yeah. thrilled about it. <laughs> that was before I saw the, the price exactly, to be fair. Like I just saw that. I, I saw like text messages and Slack channel. It's like, we got Jordan Howard. And I was like, okay, that's fine. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they needed to do something and I'm glad they did that. Um, but once I saw the cost, I was like, okay, feel a little bit better. So I'll start out with the pros. He's only 24. You know, that's very good. He's young. He is clearly a productive volume player. And I think that's kind of important to note here because you can look at counting stats and people do that a lot, especially in the NBA or the NFL, whatever. And that, there's value in that and being a volume player because clearly not anyone or not just anyone can do that. Like Darren Sproles can't. You couldn't give him the workload yeah. that Jordan had. Like it's just he's not going to hold up. He's not going to last. Even Darren right. Sproles in his prime, like it's just not that kind of player. Now there's volume, there's value in that, but I also think like you have to be efficient too. So Jordan Howard, you know, he's having he had a ton of yards last year, but he only had three point seven yards per carry. So like that's not as great. Another thing I did like is he has graded out well in pass protection by Pro Football Focus. You know, I'm gonna have to go back and look at that closer myself, but just for now. I take that as a positive sign. Obviously, the Eagles didn't give up too much to get him. That's another pro. He's relatively durable, which is kind of surprising, I feel like, given his physical running style. But he's only missed one game in his past three seasons here in the NFL. So that's I think that's a good thing. I think when you look at this move from a comp pick perspective, obviously the Eagles didn't do anything to cost themselves a comp pick, although they gave up a pick next year, which, you know, kind of you, you have to factor that in. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah. You can get a comp pick for Jordan Howard now if you don't re-sign him after this season. You know, if, if he has a good year and you don't want to pay him big money, which I think is very possible, then all of a sudden another team signs him and you just got a draft pick that's potentially better than what the Bears just gave you. So like right. there, there you right. go. You're getting some you're already getting some kind of return potentially if he leaves. So that's a good thing to keep in mind. He's cheap. John, he's only $2 million in base salary this year, so you're not really eating into the cap space too much. Um, man, you're checking big. off all of Howie Roseman's boxes here, man. I'll that, tell you what, young, cheap. Young, yeah, cheap. I mean. <laughs> he's big. Yeah. He's six foot, yeah. 230. So I think this is, you know, John, you talked about wanting LeGarrette Blount back last year. You wanted that that yeah. big running back. Yeah. This is him. This is LeGarrette, This yeah. is like the new LeGarrette Blount in this offense. He's big. He's good in short yardage. That's something. I think that's honestly one of the big, one of the bigger selling points of this trade. The Eagles were terrible in short yardage last year when it came to um, at least running back production. Like Josh Adams was some kind of crazy bad numbers, which was surprising on the surface because you look at Josh Adams and you're like, wow, you know, that guy's big. He should be able to plunge forward and and get you a first down on fourth and short, third and short, but he couldn't in seven carries on third or fourth down. In one or two last year, Josh Adams had negative eight yards and no first down. So he was horrible. And that stat comes from Jimmy Kemsky. So you bring in Jordan Howard and all of a sudden you have someone who is more effective in short yardage because, as Dave Spadaro noted, um, he has 21 of 31 conversions on third and fourth of two or fewer yards in 18. So it's a 74% convert rate. Um, for perspective, Ezekiel Elliott converted 76. So if you want to put that in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, you just got someone who can help you out in short yardage. 
you got someone who checks the boxes and all the categories you mentioned. Those are all the positives of the trade in my mind. Yeah, and, and that's pretty good. I mean, and I, there's some other numbers that you could run out there, too. He did score nine touchdowns this year, even though it was a 3.7 yards per carry average. Nine touchdowns uh, the year before that. Howard is only one of two running backs with nine or more rushing touchdowns in each of the last two seasons. Todd Gurley's the only other one. Uh, and his 18 rushing touchdowns since 2017 tied for third most in the NFL behind Gurley and Alvin Kamara. Um, uh, also that, uh, Howard was uh, only one of four NFL running backs with 2000 or more rushing yards since 2017, along with Gurley, Elliott and Kareem Hunt. So you, you, you're right. Some of these counting numbers, as you're talking about, really, you can really talk up Jordan Howard, but as you mentioned, we've kind of seen, and I imagine you're going to talk about this as, as some of the negatives. We're kind of seeing a downward trend from his mm. rookie season where he, he rushed, he did rush for 1313 yards in his, in his rookie year, mm-hmm. 5.2 yards per attempt average yeah to uh 1122 yards and a 4.1 average in 2017 (laughs) and last year 935 with 3.7 and Mm. i I thought it was an interesting question i I, this just popped through on my timeline patrick finley is the uh chicago bears beat writer for the chicago sun times he asked a fair question about jordan howard how does he not fit in the bears offensive scheme but would fit in the scheme of Doug Peterson. I mean, Peterson and Nagy run mostly the same stuff. So, you know, that's kind of a fair question. As we're looking here at Jordan Howard, we see a guy who who's who's year by year totals has kind of been going in in the wrong direction, and they couldn't find a place for him in an offensive scheme that is very similar to what the Eagles are going to run. Yeah, I guess one of the key differences I would look at there is the fact that I don't know exactly, you know, how how the Bears run their running game specifically. I don't follow them that closely enough to know that if that's more of Nagy's thing or or what. But with the Eagles specifically, I mean, Jeff Stoutland, the offensive line coach, is also the run game coordinator. And Deuce Daly obviously has a big role with the running backs as well. So, and Deuce Daly, by the way, was working out Jordan Howard leading up to the 2016 NFL draft. So, I don't think this is just about a Joe Douglas connection because – Um, Howard was drafted by the Bears when Douglas was in Chicago. I do think that's relevant, but I also think this could be a guy that Deuce really likes. So this might be a guy that the Eagles have more of a plan for in the sense that, you know, like this was a guy that, you know, again, Douglas wanted to draft and that Deuce Daly was showing interest in. He wasn't a guy that was so much in that current regime as much. I mean, I guess Pace was there too, but still like, you know, Nagy wasn't there. You know, that's not a guy who was, you know, uh, Howard wasn't drafted when Nagy was there. So, you know, that's not necessarily his exact fit or his exact vision of a guy. And look, you know, we, I've talked about it earlier on this off season about how Howard kind of got phased out a little bit because they wanted to get Cohen in there and utilize him more. So clearly wasn't exactly what they wanted in Chicago. You can point to some of those things of a concern. I think again, the the declining efficiency concerns me. To go down to three point seven last year, like I don't love that. The Eagles seemingly stopped him pretty easily in the playoffs. You know, it wasn't yeah. like some hard ten guy for thirty five, right? Yeah, not yeah. exactly <laughs> like you know the the hardest guy to stop there. He's not much of a receiver. He he's has seventy two career receptions for only five hundred sixty eight yards, which is a seven point nine average and one touchdown. He is somewhat of a fumbling issue, I guess. Not like a super bad one. Uh, he has five fumbles in three seasons, but, you know, to keep in mind, he has 850 total touches. So there's been a lot of touches there. And I guess another thing is just you still need to draft a running back. Like, this doesn't solve everything. Yeah. Like, it, it addresses the position and it improves it. But, like, I still feel like you still have to add a running back in the draft because you just – well, first of all, because Howard's only on a one-year deal and there's a very decent chance that he's not going to be here beyond this year. 
So you still need to think mm-hmm. about the future of that position somewhat. And I just think like what you have behind him still isn't like super inspiring and amazing. And you still want to add someone ideally with some better third down back skills. I know people want Corey Clement to be that guy. And I would love for Corey Clement to be that guy, but I still think you yeah. need to kind of, you know, hedge your bet on that and, and invest a little bit more in that position and try to upgrade it somewhat more because I just think, you know, receiving is so important in today's game. And the fact that Howard doesn't really bring that as much, he, he's not really so much a pass game contributor. Like that's, that's the, the part I guess that kind of doesn't make me as crazy yeah. about this deal. Like if he was, I'd be over the moon, but that's just kind of what right, holds me right. back. That kind of puts me at, I guess, like an A minus or kind of, or B plus for this trade instead of like an A or an A plus. Well, that's one of the things too, that makes me think that Josh Jacobs could still be a target at 25, because that is one of the things that he did well in college was, was catch the ball out of the backfield. And it also is a reason that the the, the Eagles might not be done uh, adding to the backfield, because unless you're going to bring uh, Darren Sproles back, I don't know that you can count on Corey Clement to be your, your main pass catching back out of the backfield. They're really, they really don't have anybody on the roster that you can depend on to do that. Wendell Smallwood's not that guy. Um, Josh Allen's not that guy. I mean, uh, um, yeah, Josh Adams isn't that guy. Uh, you know, I think you, you've you've got to maybe make you know still make a trade. You can still make a trade for somebody like Duke Johnson or something like that. But you know, eventually, you know, some of these draft pick trades, even though they're lower draft picks, you know, you don't want to trade all those away. So you know, I wonder if trading for Jordan Howard means that they probably wouldn't trade for Duke Johnson. I realize, like you said, this is a, a draft pick for next year, not coming out of this year's draft. So I guess they could. They could, you know, pillage something from this year's draft if they wanted to as well. But I still think, for me, Josh Jacobs is a target at 25. I I, I love the idea of bringing in. I know Brandon. I, I mean, not Brandon. I know uh, Jordan <laughs> Howard uh, is a is a younger player. But like you said, he's on the last year of his deal this next year. I, I I'm still looking at Josh Jacobs at number 25. BLG. Interesting. And apparently the Eagles are too. We're hearing rumors that they like him. I talked, I think last week about how Jeff Mosher said that that's a guy they really like. Um, and I think Mosher even said tonight that he kind of doubled down on that. Like he, he wouldn't rule them out still drafting a running back. And that'd be nice to see again, because you still need that. Like you need, this isn't going to be Jordan Howard running back one, getting 25 carries a game. That's just not what this is going to be. It's not like, at least if you look at the history of Doug Peterson's system here, they're going to rotate these running Running backs, and I just feel like that Jordan Howard's kind of going to be, or, and not just in similar and mold of a player, but also kind of the workload that Legarrette Blunt got. Like Legarrette Blunt was your number one quote unquote running back in 2017. Oftentimes he would get the bulk of carries in a game, but he's not getting like 20 touches or 20 plus carries every game. He might be at like yeah. you know 15, and then he, he makes in the other guys there. So, yeah, I still think there's a need. Again, I am still going to be very surprised if the Eagles take a first-round running back, just considering they haven't done it in forever. And they're such an analytically driven team that I just feel like it is hard to believe until I see it. But just the fact that that Josh Jacobs, or a player like him, brings that passing game value, I definitely think that's something the Eagles want to add. Because you don't you don't just look at him. I mean, you look at him. You also look at Le'Veon Bell, who they clearly again they didn't acquire, but they were rumored to be interested in him and Duke Johnson. And you know maybe they will take a look at Spencer Ware still. Who knows? But you know those kind of guys are those pass catching backs who can help you in the passing game. And I just feel like they kind of want that guy for Carson to have as just as like a nice check down guy. You know who can you can just check down to and and rely on 
um, being able to contribute in that area, whereas the Eagles just really have not had that that's kind of stability, that kind of pass catching back reliably, who is a proven player, you know, other than Corey Clement doing so a little bit in 2017. Mm-hmm. And then having Darren Sproles when you did, but um, I just still think you know that's that's something they still need to kind of address here, and that's again why the Howard trade doesn't like just make me feel like oh everything's fixed. But um, yeah. and you do have to be excited, right? Like you look at oh yeah, yeah, it, it's it's an upgrade, BLG. I mean, it's it, an it, it assures us we're not going into the season with Wendell Smallwood oh or gosh. Josh Adams as the number one running back, which is what we were look we were staring down the ba- the oh, barrel of that. You know, terrible. <laughs> That'd just, be horrible. Yeah, you could. It would have been horrible. It would have been horrible, and and they had to bring in some talent. Maybe Jordan Howard can get back to being. He's not. He's not going to get enough carries to rush for thirteen hundred yards again. That's yeah. just not what this offense is going to do. So, but what you'd like to see is that yards per attempt number go up. And as I think about Josh Jacobs and and taking a running back in the first round of the draft, you're right. It's not something they've they've done in a long, long time. Like we mentioned last week on the podcast, last time they did it was Keith Byers in mm-hmm. nineteen eighty six. Um, so one of their second round picks is probably. Probably a more likely scenario, but I think also it's it's fair to mention that they that Howie Roseman probably would have drafted Christian McCaffrey in the first round if he could have. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, I, and to me, the skill set is similar. Yeah. Uh, with it was McCaffrey is mostly a a pass catching uh, running back out of the backfield. So you know maybe there are certain exceptions that you make for certain. I mean, if this is a passing league, if you're getting a running back that you think can really create mismatches in the passing game for you now that you've gotten your runner taken care of. I mean, I guess the question here with us, BLG, is we've talked about wanting to have a runner that you can count on, that you can feel good about as as somebody who can take some pressure off of Carson Wentz. Do you see Jordan Howard meeting that definition? Not the end-all, be-all. Not the just the definitive answer. No worries about it. I'm intrigued by it. Yeah. Some level of confidence in it. I mean, here, I'll frame it this way. Look at the Eagles offense right now, taking out the offensive line, just looking at the skilled players. Play some fantasy football here with me for a second. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Quarterback, Carson Wentz. Running back, Jordan Howard. Wide receiver, Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, Nelson Aguilar. And then tight end, Zach Gertz, Dallas Goddard. That's a pretty good group. Man. Pretty good That's group pretty of skilled players right there. And obviously, you know, you're yeah. going to. You're not going to have all those three receivers out in the field and the two tight ends at the same time. You're going to mix that up between 11 personnel and 12 personnel. But still, I mean, you have options there. And, you know, right. that's not right. even accounting for some of the young guys taking a step forward as nice role players like Matt Collins or Shelton Gibson or Braxton Miller, whatever, uh, whatever have you there. And even some of the other running backs, you know, maybe Corey Clement does come back and have a great third year after showing promise as a rookie. Like, that's just you know, sticking with some of the starters and the, and the main players there right now. Um, so to answer your question, John, uh, I don't feel like amazing over the moon, but I feel like fine. Yeah. yeah. I feel like, okay, like this is fine. Like I'm, I'm not gonna be harping on this as opposed to if the Eagles did nothing, like I would be harping yeah. on it nonstop. No, I got you. And that's, that's totally fair. And I, I'm excited about it too. I mean, when we were talking about Jordan Howard, that was not, when we were comparing him to the list of other running backs that were available, Mark Ingram, Tevin Coleman, all those different guys, obviously I think you and I both would have preferred one of those two players just because of the talent they bring. And, and the speed. You know, that would, of like, course, that's another thing. And the like, speed, yeah. Jordan yeah. Howard's not like a speed guy. And the Eagles don't, don't have like that speed running back. I think that's something they're still missing. No, no doubt about it. But I, it's a good deal for a sixth-round pick, and which could turn into a fifth-round pick. You're not going to draft a player as good as Jordan Howard with that pick, so you yeah. might as well 
uh, might as well make that swap. And uh, Howie Roseman, even just a, a couple of days after saying that they felt good about the running backs that they have, <laughs> you can never trust anything that comes out of anybody's mouth in the front office of any sport. You just can't. You can't trust anybody. Um, but uh, Howie Roseman did what everybody had been asking him to do, and he got a running back, and we'll see if uh, if they're done. I still think they might not be done. Up next, we're going to get into some of the latest draft rumors and um, talk about some, some comments made by Roseman and Lurie and Doug Peterson this week when they were down at the NFL owners' meetings. That's all up next right here on BGN Radio. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back on BGN Radio. So, BLG, let's get into some of these draft rumors as we are getting closer and closer to the uh, 2019 NFL Draft. And we found out the Eagles are going to welcome Ed Oliver in for a visit. Um, Obviously, it's a big name. Not many people think that he can fall to number 25 where the Eagles are picking, which raises the question, what do you think the chances are that the Eagles are thinking about moving up in the first round? They could do it because they have two second-round picks this year. Do you think they try to move up from number 25? I wouldn't rule it out. You know, Harry Roseman's done it in the past. I think when you look at the Eagles' history of trading up, you know, there's been some good acquisitions there when they've gotten aggressive. I mean, look no further than last year, and it wasn't in the first round, but still. And ultimately, they traded down, too, but they traded back up to get Dallas Goddard. You know, they traded up to get Brandon Graham. Like, they've made some good additions when they've been aggressive and they've traded up. I kind of feel like just, and we'll touch on this, I guess, a little later about what Jeffrey Lurie was saying about, you know, the Eagles want to, they believe in volume in terms of drafting, which I think is a smart strategy. Because I think when you look at the kind of the the broad picture of the NFL draft, there's not a lot, I think, that separates teams in terms of good drafting and whatnot. Like, I think there's a, a big element of luck, like that's proven to be there. Um, that's not to say some teams are, are not better than drafting than others. I think that's, you know, there's some variance there, but I'm just saying like the thing we don't like to admit in sports in general is that there's luck involved. And, you know, the, the way to kind of counter that luck is to have a lot of draft picks and make a lot of picks and hope you kind of get lucky on some of them. So that's kind of in general, the best strategy. And that's why you see teams trade down smart teams in obviously the Patriots do that a lot, but at the same time, I feel like if there is value there and if you feel like really so just really, really strongly about a player and look, looking at a lot of the Eagles mock draft scenarios like I do, there's just a lot of them where you get to 25 and you just don't feel really any good like about what's yeah. left there's there. There's nothing You're, inspiring. There's nothing inspiring in that spot, is there? there? There isn't. And then that's when you end up like with these mock drafts that have the Eagles taking a cornerback. It's like... Why? Like, what are we doing here? This isn't this isn't realistic. It's not going to happen. But at the same time, I look at them and I'm like, okay, maybe I, I almost can't blame them because what else? What else are they supposed to take here? There's not like a lot of great options. So if Oliver falls, and I think there's some merit to that, as Ben Solak has discussed on the Kiston Solak show, because Oliver is a smaller guy. But there's a precedent for players like that falling. You look at Aaron Donald fall a little or fell a little further than expected. You look at Geno Atkins, you know, fell in the draft. There's a historical precedent. 
of those guys, you know, not being super highly valued by the NFL. I mean, think about it. Like Ed Oliver used to be talked about as like number one overall pick. And he is clearly not in that same discussion now. He's more of like a guy that could fall into the teens. And there are some mock draft scenarios out there that have him falling to the Eagles in the in the at 25, which is crazy. I don't think he does fall there. I mean, you look at his athletic testing numbers and Houston had their pro day today. Like he uh, he ran like an historically good 40-yard time, an historically good like three-cone time. Like Ed Oliver is ridiculous. Mm. He's like a ridiculous yeah. Yeah. athlete. <laughs> um, there's some concerns about his college production because I guess he only had like 13 and a half sacks in three years. But you look at his like tackles for loss numbers, and he had like 53. Like he's still a very dis- – it's, wow. it's clear he's a very disruptive player even if the sack numbers aren't always there. Um, so, and just thinking about the trio of Fletcher Cox, Malik Jackson, Ed Oliver. I mean, oh my gosh, like that's, that's so much <laughs> interior disruption. Like I, I like that. So, you know, if the opportunity is there and the cost is within reason, I think the Eagles should be aggressive. You know, I don't think you're trading up to like 13 from him or for him, you know, from 25 to 13. I just, something like that seems too much, but like if you're trading up to maybe like 19, okay, maybe that's within striking range or, or 20. I think it's interesting, and I think it's something they're going to entertain. I mean, clearly, they're bringing him in. He's on their radar. No doubt about it, and that would certainly be... You're right. As I've looked over the mock drafts, it just none of the names pop out at you, and it seems as though, yeah, you're taking best available, but I guess if you're in that kind of a situation where you're at number 25, there could be a temptation to drop back maybe too you know i mean if you're if you're not really bowled over by any of your choices and who knows what the how what the eagles think about the players who will fall to them i guess you could also make an argument then it, that uh they would they could drop back a little bit maybe maybe pick up another second round and another you know third day pick or something like that by by moving back in the first round or moving into the second and getting yourself three second round picks. Although I don't know, they didn't have a first round pick last year at BLG. Yeah. My guess is they probably want to stay in the first round, right? Yeah, I, I think they do. And I think um, as much as they talked about wanting volume, I think there has to be some kind of fit for them, hopefully there in the first round. And just selfishly, just because it's kind of boring when they trade out of night yeah, one. Yeah, we need a first round pick. Yeah. Especially when you pick late <laughs> in there. And it, like, it just, yeah. I mean, it happened last year. At least, you know, the good news is we are kind of ready for that. And at the same time, they get a good pick. In this year's draft so you kind of hang your hat on that but yeah it's yeah. just kind of boring like you, you wait there the whole night and it's like oh they traded out i remember that happened with um that's that's part of what made me so furious about kevin cobb way back in the day it's like i was waiting uh, all, to, yeah. all this time for the eagles to finally make their first round pick and then they trade back and it's with the cowboys and I'm like great and then I, I i wait all this time for the eagles to draft kevin freaking cobb <laughs> not not a fan of the trade back, just from a fan perspective, leaving strategy out of it uh, yeah, for yeah. a second. But yeah, I, I just feel like hopefully, you know, that opportunity to be aggressive just might be there. I think if they trade up, I think it is going to be for like Ed Oliver or Christian Wilkins. I think those are the kind of guys that would be that kind of trade up. And maybe it only takes a couple of uh, a couple spots like maybe you move from 25 to 21 and that's you know where you get your guy mm-hmm. and by the way on this topic um did you see that brian baldinger tweeted what he tweeted out this week john yes that was kind of interesting yes. to me yes he was like basically what baldy said here is that the colts and the eagles are seemingly possibly targeting the same player and i think when you look at who that player could be i think it might be an ed oliver or maybe more realistically a christian wilkins because um, the Colts also have a need there on the interior defensive line. I think that's a little interesting. And the bad news for the Eagles is the Colts have more draft ammo than they do. So if they want to yeah. jump up, they could be the ones who who get it. 
and I think the fact that Baldy put man, that out Frank there. Man, Frank Reich and Doug Peterson. Fr- going Fra- at Frank it. Reich and Doug Peterson. Oh, man, oh, man. When friends become enemies, buddy, you hate to see it. You hate to see it. I think that Baldy put that out there. Like, that kind of makes me think that the trade-up thing is kind of on the Eagles' radar a little bit. All right, fair enough. And let's just quickly, I'm going to write about this for Bleeding Green Nation here. Hopefully, I'll have something up on Friday uh, about it. But uh, just kind of taking a look at the last three drafts that Howie Roseman has had. Because really, BLG, if you look any, any further... Earlier than the 2016 draft, he was heavily influenced by Chip Kelly. Then before that, Andy Reid um, was obviously handling a lot of those drafts in conjunction with with Roseman. But this has been Roseman and Joe Douglas here these last three years, and so let's just kind of take a look back uh, at some of these at some of these drafts real quick, and and you can give a grade or just give your your general thoughts. 2016 first round pick Carson Wentz. I mean, we all love that pick. That's obviously something that's fantastic they did not have a second round pick that year Isaac Samalu uh, was their pick in the third round Wendell Smallwood and Halapulavati Vitae were their fifth round picks uh in the sixth round they took Blake Countess a cornerback and in the seventh round in 2016 they got Jalen Mills along with Alex McAllister and Joe Walker as I'm looking back on 2016 that seems like a pretty damn good draft BLG yeah I mean obviously Carson Wentz is the make or break factor there but um outside of that because you kind of almost have to also evaluate it outside of that. Um, Samalo is, I think, at least a capable starter in the third round. Like, I think he meets mm-hmm. your expectations of a third round pick. Yeah. It's not yeah. a steal. It's not um, underperformance. It's just exactly probably what you, on average, like he's like the average third round pick, I guess. Yeah, he's been would. and he's been productive. Yeah, yeah absolutely. He, 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 going forward, you know, he's signed to a decent contract, so um, – Potential to be a solid, good starter for the Eagles at guard and maybe eventually center. He's versatile as well. Um, and then what you got out of the rest of that draft, I mean, Big V is a pretty good for a fifth-round pick. Um, obviously, a Super Bowl starting left tackle. You'll take yeah. that. Um, not a good enough player to become a long-term starter, in my opinion, but I think he at least has a role as a solid swing tackle. And then Jalen Mills is a very up-and-down player, but he is a player that has – he belongs in the NFL. And for a seventh-round pick, yeah. like that's that's pretty solid. The 2017 draft, this is still very much up in the air, and, and injuries have really been a big part of why this draft has fallen flat. Derek Barnett uh, taken in the first round. Again, uh, just you think there's a lot of talent there, but we just haven't been able to see him enough on the field, especially uh, losing him early last year. Sidney Jones in the second round. Um, again, that was seen as a guy that had first-round talent but was dealing with a, was an Achilles injury, right, uh, that he suffered during a, a pro-day workout and – Still has not been able to stay on the field. Uh, Razul Douglas in the third round. Mac Hollins and Donnell Pumphrey in the fourth round. Shelton Gibson, Nathan Gary in the fifth round. And Elijah Qualls in the sixth round. This was not this was not his finest draft here, BLG. There's some issues there. I think Derek Barnett's going to be pretty good. I know Ben doesn't like him. I, Hater. Sidney <laughs> Jones. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was concerned about that pick at the time. Not just... I like Sidney Jones before he got hurt, but just the injury made me really skeptical. I just wasn't sure, you know, if he was ever going to be the same player. And the maybe if he stays healthy, he can still recover. He's only 22. Like, he still has a lot of career ahead of him. But it's just, you know, so yeah. far, he's been too hurt. And it's just, you know, you, you don't know what to expect. Um, Rizul, I, I feel like Rizul can be at least a good backup cornerback on the outside and, and maybe a starter. Donald Pumphrey was just a disastrous pick, obviously, as we've talked about. Really I mean, he traded up for him. Um, just and, and he's not even an NFL player. Like that's the that's what bothers me about that pick so much. It's not like you got like bad draft picks are going to happen. 
you're going to get a guy and you're going to play him and he's going to be like average or he's going to stink. Like Wendell Smallwood, you know, like that's not a great draft mm-hmm. pick, but like at least he kind of belongs in the league a little bit. Donald yeah. Puffrey can't even play like at all. Like that's just a disaster. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then yeah. you got Matt Collins. We don't know exactly what he is yet. Um, Qualls obviously didn't turn out to be anything. Gary looks like just probably a backup or a special teamer. Yeah. It's not, it's not an awesome looking class there. Um, Derek Barnett kind of has it, like the burdens on him, I guess, really to, <laughs> to step up yeah, and to save that draft. Yeah. And save that. <laughs> and yeah, it's on him. All right. And then uh, last year, they only had five picks last year. Dallas Goddard in the second round. Avante Maddox in the fourth round, two really good players last year that were a big part of that team. Uh, Josh Sweat was also taken in the fourth round. I think we heard Howie Roseman talk about him a little bit and uh, like uh, the talent that he has. Matt Pryor in the sixth round and Jordan Mailata in the seventh round. Um, obviously, it's, it's not fair to judge a draft um, just one year just one year out, but the early returns on Goddard and Maddox at least are, have been very good. Very, very good, and I think it's they're they're off to a good start anyway. Yeah, and I mean the the three guys and Josh Sweat and Matt Pryor and Jordan Mailata, who we don't really know what they are yet. I mean, there's some upside there. There's potential. Both Sweat and Mailata are only 21 years old. Um, Sweat being a developmental defensive end, hopefully you can see something out of him this year or moving forward. And then Mailata, obviously, just being a total wild card, we have no idea what he's going to be. Um, that could be a home run. Like that could be not just a home run. That could be a Reese Hoskins grand slam as he did today, which is very awesome. And I love yep. that a lot. Yep. Uh, quick tangent. Yep. Don't disrespect my man Reese. You cannot just intentionally walk the guy ahead of him <laughs> and expect him to not cross that ball out of the park. Come on. What are you doing? Seriously. Braves? Very disrespectful. Seriously. Um, yeah. So yeah, very, very disrespectful. Jordan Mylotta, stupid too, by the way. Very stupid. <laughs> Jordan Mylotta could be that Reese Hoskins grand slam though. Like he could be that mm. big of a move or he could be, you know, nothing. Like he could be out of the league as soon as this year, potentially. Like if he, if he's just a disaster in training camp this year, like do the Eagles keep him? I mean, maybe, maybe they hold on and still feel like there's enough there. But I'm just saying, like, it's not a total lock. Like, he needs to show he needs to show them some kind of progress or upside or, or potential. Like, you, you just don't hold on to him forever if he's showing nothing. So, um, again, I, I, just to be clear, I don't think that's the likely outcome. I'm just saying, I don't know. I think it's possible. Yeah, yeah. I think it's in the realm of possibility. So, uh, so we don't know. But I think the kind of takeaway from all these drafts as a whole, I guess it kind of goes back to what Lurie was saying in that. Um, like they're not foolish enough to, or I think the exact line he used was something about like not being cocky enough to think that they're going to be able to outdraft everyone. Like they're just going to be the masters of knowing who to draft and they're going to draft better than the entire league. Like they don't, they don't think they're that smart enough. They don't think that, um, the way drafting works and the way luck can have a factor that they can just rely on that to be better than everyone. But what they can rely on is getting a bunch of draft picks and the Eagles have um, about 20-ish or so draft picks, you know, one fewer now mm-hmm. uh, with this Jordan Howard trade, to restock some of their their core here in the next couple of years. So going forward and looking at this body work of what we have from Harry Roseman and Joe Douglas in these past couple of years, I think you see enough where you can feel, you know, optimistic and have and have some hope and some upside, I think you can also see some pitfalls. You can also look at like, you know, you can look at the Donald Pumphrey pick and the process behind that and not feel awesome about that. So, and then the Sidney Jones thing, you can feel like, okay, they took a, a risk on injury, but maybe that wasn't the best strategy, which there was concerns about 
taking an injured player yeah. that we had written up at Bleeding Green Nation before they drafted Sidney Jones. So there's, you know, there's some risk reward. There's some good strategy we've seen. There's some bad strategy. I think overall, um, you know, you, you feel like there's some level of confidence about what, what, you know, what they can do with these draft picks moving forward. But I also think, you know, there's some reason for reservation as well. Up next, we're going to talk about Carson Wentz and whether or not the team is getting ready to pay the man, pay that man his money. Uh, we'll see if uh, that's going to be something the team does maybe here this offseason before the season starts next year. We'll also give you some other notes from some of the news conferences that were held by Jeff Lurie and Doug Peterson uh, and uh, Howie Roseman uh, this week at the NFL owners meetings. That's up next right here on BGN Radio. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we're back on BGN Radio. So, um... One of the big things this uh, offseason BLG that uh, hasn't really come to fruition yet but could still come to fruition is paying the quarterback. And I know that there are still some people out there who don't think that Carson Wentz has anything to prove in 2019. I disagree. Doug Peterson. uh, Doug Peterson is one of those guys, and I disagree with the coach. I think that there is a little something for Carson Wentz to prove this year, but it's mostly just his being able to stay healthy. I I, th- I, I still think the talent is incredible. Even last year when he was clearly playing hurt, that he had a pretty good season, all things considered, without a running game and without a, a deep threat and without a defense that was really able to support him for much of the season. And we've talked about all of that uh, BLG you and I have, and I know you and I are both um, still on the Wentz wagon. I'm still fully on the Wentz wagon. Um, and at the news conference that Howie Roseman had with the uh, media this week at the owners' meetings, he mentioned a couple times how they they want to have money set aside to pay Carson Wentz. Do you get the impression that the team is interested in signing him sooner rather than later? I mean, I haven't heard anything, so this is just you know conjecture and speculation on my part. Speculation, yeah. But um, I think the team does, especially when you look at their messaging this week. And now, you know, it always, you kind of said it earlier in the show, John, like it doesn't always necessarily matter what they say, look at what they do. And you, we already saw what they did. And that is hang on to Carson Wentz and um, let Nick Foles go. So, you know, they, clearly they are committed to him as their long-term quarterback. Like that decision has already been made. So with that in mind, I really don't see the need to wait for, like you're already committed to him. So you should want to sign him to a contract extension as soon as possible. Because if you're waiting, price is only going to go up. Like, so why are you waiting? Just to see another year if he gets hurt? Like, so what? If he gets hurt, he's not your franchise quarterback anymore? I mean, what are you going to do? Like, what, you know, what what's your replacement plan here? I don't think they really have one with their timeline. That's Like, I don't think they give up on Carson Wentz just because if he gets hurt again this year. I just don't. I don't think that's the case. I think the Eagles want to extend him. I think the reluctance for an extension comes from Carson Wentz because, you know, he's not Me dumb. Too. He can, he can think of everything I just said and he could say, and he's, you know, he can get these offers from the Eagles that, and they're probably trying to get him to accept. And he's probably like, no, I don't want to take this deal because I feel like I can maximize my value by having a better season in 2019. 
And I think that's where they're at. I think the Eagles, you know, probably want to get him signed. I'm sure they've approached him. I'm sure they've, you know, brought him numbers that Carson feels like he can do better. And at that point, there's risk and reward on Carson's end. If he takes the deal, it could be a good move for him in the sense that, you know, he has been hurt and it's instant security and he doesn't have to worry about, you know, having a 2019 season where he's playing for a contract and he gets hurt again and, you know, just things kind of don't turn out the way he wants. So there's there's some incentive for him to do it now. You know, it's just like that guaranteed safe option. But, you know, there's also incentive to wait in that you could have a really good 2019 season. You know, he knows just as well as we do that when he had a full off season to prepare for the 2017 season, he was amazing. And maybe he thinks he can do that again. And I think he can do that again. I think especially we're talking about this offensive skill group, all those players they have. I mean, I'm sure he feels like he can have another big year this year. So I think the Eagles are fully committed to him. You saw Howie Roseman, Doug Peterson, and Jeffrey Lurie all emphatically, verbally express that. Uh, And I think that, you know, that's the direction they want to go. The one thing I do want to say about Carson, John, and something that you just said in the sense of he doesn't need to prove himself. Uh, You know, I saw a lot of people reacting to that. It's obviously been kind of like a sports radio topic. How could Doug Peterson possibly say that? But I think the thing about that is that's not necessarily true. Like he didn't necessarily fully say that. I mean, he, he quite literally said that in an answer, but I'm saying something else he said when he was talking about Carson Wentz and his need to be more accessible and, you know, more um, like genuine, I guess, or I don't think that wasn't the word, is more accessible uh, as a teammate. I think that's right there is what he's saying he needs to improve yeah. at. Like that's clearly kind of somewhat of a criticism there, a constructive criticism, I would say, because Doug said he feels like Carson has that in him. It's not like something he's saying like, oh, I really need to see it. I've never, I haven't seen it. But I think that's something that we've been talking about. And not only have we been talking about, but talking about how we've been talking about this whole offseason, John, where – Carson Wentz needs to mature. And Doug, I think Doug had a really, really good answer about that. And obviously you can read that answer in full on bleedinggreennation.com or listen to it in the At the Podium episode that Michael Kiss put up on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed here. But basically, you know, in short, he just said that like he needs to, um, I just think, mature as a, as a player and a person off the field. And I think that's exactly what needs to happen. I think Carson needs to find a way to kind of, take what he's gone through in terms of the adversity, kind of just like Nick Foles did. And I think something that when we've been talking about this conversation before, John, and I kind of left out was that Nick Foles, when he left Philadelphia the first time, when he was traded, I should say, in 2015, I remember Jeff McLean putting out a story about how the Eagles felt that one of the issues with Nick Foles was that he didn't have confidence. Like, he could get down on himself, and that was something they were worried about. And doesn't that sound crazy now? Like, doesn't that sound nuts that the guy who won the Super Bowl and is extremely confident and poised had issues with that? Oh, so you're telling me that someone can get better at that kind of thing over the course of the career as they mature? (laughs) Someone can grow, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So let's maybe not condemn Carson Wentz and, like, talk about him like he can never improve on something like that. And maybe he won't. I'm not saying it's a guarantee. I'm not saying everyone does. But I'm saying, like, we have evidence that people can grow like that. And I think that's what we do need to see from Carson Wentz this year. And not for nothing, but the Eagles sit with just under $23.5 million in cap space right now. That's 12th most in the NFL. 
and they're probably done adding big ticket items. Now they're going to have to pay some of the draft picks and they're going to probably have to make a couple other payments here along the way if they trade for somebody like a Duke Johnson or sign a Spencer Ware, which I don't I don't know that I see those two things happening anymore. That could impact the salary cap space, but they do have some of the space BLG and you wonder if that's kind of what they're setting it aside for. So, uh we'll just wait and see, but I do think that cap number is interesting. Now they have after after coming into the offseason trying to move around money to to get themselves cap space, they have it, and there's just not a lot to spend it on at this point now that most of the big free agents and the big trade targets are kind of out of the way. Um, some other notes from the presser. You mentioned uh, Doug talking about Carson Wentz. Uh, he also talked about wanting to be more aggressive in 2019. We remember how aggressive he was in 2017, and you and I talked about it on the podcast last, uh, last year, that – it doesn't. It didn't seem as though Peterson, early in the season especially, was was doing some of the things that we would have expected him to do based on what we saw in the postseason and the Super Bowl and and even during the regular season when they they went forward on fourth and short more than any other team in the NFL. And getting Jordan Howard will help with that a little bit. <laughs> you know. Uh, yes, improved. indeed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Maybe that was part of it. <laughs> hopefully, yes. Uh, but yeah, I like that. I just think that's a good. That's encouraging to see that kind of reflection from Doug in uh, the honesty and, you know, being critical of himself and saying, yeah, I need to get better. Like that's not something I, I imagine we would see out of Chip Kelly, just for example. So no. <laughs> um, I was, I really like that. I hope he follows through with that again. He can say that. And then if he doesn't do it, okay, then it doesn't matter. It's meaningless. I need to see the action. I need to see him follow through on that. Um, quote unquote promise, I guess, to be more aggressive. So hopefully we do see that this year. I, I mean, I would like to see him getting back to that. Another thing in that same vein of something he's talked about, but also I need to see him follow through on it is this idea of getting more 12 personnel involved in the offense this year. And I kind of have been thinking about that a little bit. And I feel like it's one of those things that kind of gets talked about in the off season it might not actually happen, unfortunately, because those things kind of happen every year. But I guess one kind of thing that would support the idea that it could get used more is that, you know, the Eagles didn't have a full offseason to prepare for the fact that they were going to get Dallas Goddard. You know what I mean? Like they didn't know they had Dallas Goddard right, for sure. Right. Um, so now that they do and they know that they do need to run more 12 personnel and they actually have the, the players to do so, I would hope that they can really get together this offseason, the entire coaching staff, Doug Peterson, and really design more of an offense that features those two guys, those two tight ends. Um, there's still going to be a lot of 11 personnel, make no mistake. I mean, you're paying Nelson Aguilar $9.4 million to be your slot receiver, and you, you acquired Deshaun Jackson, and you're already paying Alshon Jeffrey, like a number one wide receiver. Those guys aren't going away. Like You're not going to suddenly be running right. a 12 personnel base offense, like 70% of the snap. It's just not happening. But you know, we do need to see more 12. And I, so I kind of just, I guess the theme there, you know, from those two things is that I'm glad Doug has kind of pointed out some of those shortcomings. And I really do hope we see some follow through on that this season. A couple of things that Jeff Lurie said too, as we wrap up the podcast here, he talked about um, his love of Doug's resiliency. And, and we saw that on full display in 2017 and 2018. And a lot of the credit for that resiliency for, 
this this football team picking themselves up off the mat when any number of other teams would have given up on the season. Uh, that happened when Carson Wentz went out in 2017 and when Carson Wentz went out again in 2018, but specifically when they lost that overtime game to the Cowboys and it looked like the season was over. Uh, Nick Bowles came in and, and helped resurrect the, the team's playoff chances and they actually went to the playoffs and won a playoff game and you know a lot of that is on Doug too keeping you know keeping the team interested keeping the team playing hard that is also one of the things we talked about last year after that Cowboys game I know we specifically talked about at least wanting to see the team play hard and play out the string by maybe getting a couple of wins here and there. We didn't expect them to go to the postseason, but this seems to be a hallmark of Doug Peterson that when the chips are down, they believe in him enough to play hard and, and to continue playing for him. In the last couple of seasons, it's resulted in a world championship and a playoff berth with another playoff victory. Even going back to 2016, too, his first year, really, when you know things were looking yeah. terrible after that Cincinnati loss where they got blown out. And I felt like... Personally, I felt like Doug Peterson might need to be fired if the team quit on him for the rest of the season. Like if they showed no signs of fight for those final games there they had, I was like, you know, they might have to fire this guy because if the players aren't going to play for him, that's a big concern to me. And they yeah. did the exact opposite. They they went out and they lost to Washington, I think, but they, it was a close game. It came down to the wire. And then they, you know, they won. Um, There's another close game against the Ravens there where they, you know, they had a chance to, they went for two, obviously, as we all remember, and they didn't get it. They could have won that. And then they beat the Giants who were, you know, they, I think they went like 11-5 that year. They had a good season. And then they beat the Cowboys who were resting their starters in week 17. But still, you know, they, they finished the season on a high note. And I just feel like that's kind of been a theme under Doug Peterson. You look at it in that year, you look at it, obviously, the Super Bowl, you look at it last year. I mean, last year, Again, and the Super Bowl win obviously helped with it, but that was like the one of the most, um, or one of the least devastating ends to a season ever for the Eagles because it just felt like yeah, there's hope yeah. for the future, not just because of Carson Wentz and stuff, because of Doug. Like because with Doug, you feel like even if things go wrong during the season, and guess what, they are for most of the times at at some point, one or another. Uh, you know, to different extents. Even the Patriots, like the Patriots have moments where things go wrong for them in a given season. They might have a really bad loss at some point or, you know, like the Miami miracle, you know, like there might be some bad things that go on. And, you know, for the Patriots, you know, it's never really a concern for them. They're always able to dig themselves out of that hole. And for the Eagles, it's not quite the same, but I just feel like that kind of resilience that Jeffrey Lurie is talking about, I think that really exists, and I think that's been a big theme for this team. And you have to give credit to the players, too, like the leadership in the locker room. It's not just all Doug, but I think ultimately, right. you know, it reflects very well on Doug Peterson, and it's just a reason to feel confident about him. I think when you talk about head coaches, uh, it can kind of be vague and nebulous, some of the stuff we assign credit and blame for at times, because it's just – it's not a one-man show. And even as we're crediting with him with this, it's not just all him – but I think one of the things you can definitely point to, and that's like a calling card for him, and it's something Lurie specifically talked about when um, things were going bad for the Chiefs. I, I guess it was a couple of years ago. They had like a big losing streak, and Andy Reid said to Jeffrey Lurie that you know Doug was one of the most stable guys that whole time. Like he he never he never wavered. Yeah. Like you know things were going bad, but he came to work. You know, and he had the same attitude. He stayed. Uh, steady. He didn't get too down. And that's why they ultimately felt like they're, it was part of why they were ultimately able to come back is because they didn't get too down. They still believed in themselves. And we just saw that again 
in this most recent Eagles season where the Eagles go to New Orleans, they get their butts kicked 48 to 7 or whatever it was at this point, and they they fight. They come back hard and they fight. And that's what, exactly what you want to see out of this team. So I think that's something that is very encouraging about Doug Peterson going forward and a big reason why you can't count him out. Because when his back is against this wall, or when his back is against the wall, when the team's back is against the wall, they're going to find a way to respond. It's just great to see a locker room with a lot of leaders. Like you mentioned, it wasn't just Doug. There was a, there's a lot of good leadership in that locker room. But, you know, I think Doug brings that out in people. And, and people believe he's genuine. You know, there's a lot of coaches yes. like we saw with Chip Kelly in this city um, that you're not sure if this guy's really got your back or not. And I, th- I think Doug Peterson is genuine. He seems like a, a, a regular guy. I mean, he's not the guy who should have gotten this job to begin with. You know what I mean? And I think he still carries that around with him a little bit. He was the, the one of the last choices for this team. You know, they wanted Adam Gaze first. You know, it's it, it's and, and I think maybe there's a, there's still a little bit of that in Doug Peterson that he, he feels lucky to have the job and he's a world champ now, which, I mean, you'd think that would go to his head, but it doesn't seem to. And that's, that's, what's really incredible about him. And I agree with you. That's why, that's why it's, it's, you feel good about this team moving forward when, when you, the head coach is just, it's so important in the NFL in football to have a, to have a head coach, the team can get behind and, and, and follow and, and not for nothing else, but Doug Peterson also is a fantastic play caller and, and play designer. And, you know, can can flat out out coach other legendary coaches on any given Sunday too, and, and he knows how to get the best out of players, and so that's a pretty damn good combination to have. And it's pretty clear Jeffrey Lurie loves him some Doug Peterson. Um, we also got a little bit more of an explanation from Lurie about his proposal that would force the Cowboys and the Lions to play some Thursday night road games. Uh, BLG explained uh, that basically the reason that he pulled it was that it didn't have support, but he seems he seems happy that people are at least talking about it because, like we talked about last week on the podcast, I had no idea the Cowboys weren't playing Thursday night road games, and now now people are aware about it. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's a competitive disadvantage for the Eagles, and he even said that point blank. Like I think Howard Askin Howard Eskin was like, um, "Do you think you know this is?" A disadvantage or like the fact that you know all the other teams in nfc's don't get this and point blankly jeffrey larry was like yes i do and it is i talked about it last week where the cowboys have played zero road games on for, on thursday nights on like uh, a short week so several days rest never ever and look it's going to remain this way in the future at this rate like it's never going to change so right now in that same span the eagles have played five games on thursday night on on the road on short rest and that five to zero i mean that's like over time i just feel like that adds up because like, in a couple of years it could be 10 to zero it's just it's ridiculous there's no good reason for that to happen like there's nothing like the cowboys can still play on thanksgiving jeffrey Lurie is not trying to take that away he's just saying can't they play away some years just to kind of make it so that they have to also have to deal with this kind of disadvantage or one of the, what he feels like one of the bigger disadvantages in the league. And I think it was interesting, John, that, you know, we were kind of talking about last week, why did the Eagles withdraw this proposal? And I think it's true that they didn't have a ton of support for it. And I think that it's still worth putting through, like it was still worth bringing up Mm -hmm. in the first place, because at least now you're kind of creating this conversation and you're kind of giving people to you know chance to be like wait that actually isn't fair and there is good reason behind this and hopefully over time they can kind of find a way to rectify that um 
Yeah. At the same time, I think Mike Forio actually had a good theory about this, believe it or not, where he said that he feels like part of the reason the Eagles put it out there and withdrew it is so they're kind of not like the bad guy. You know what I mean? Like So, like, they withdrew it. So, ultimately, if he gets passed, it's not on them. But they brought up the idea. So, it kind of wouldn't reflect so poorly on them as much as, like, the idea has now been put out there. And now, hopefully, others will kind of helpfully um, run with it. And eventually it'll get passed and it won't just look like just the Eagles who were trying to do it yeah. as much as like everyone jumping on it. So I think that's kind of an interesting theory to put out there. And yeah, hopefully it does get fixed in the future because it's just there's no good reason for it. I mean, even if it's a small right. advantage, like even if that's what you want to argue and it's kind of like and some people have said to me, it's kind of like petty or inconsequential, which I disagree with. But OK, let's just say you're right. It doesn't need to exist at all. Like, why does it exist? It doesn't matter if it's a small advantage. Like, it shouldn't – there shouldn't be any – there's no yeah. good reason for any kind of advantage that isn't, you know, fair to exist. Like, there's no good reason for it. So, hopefully, the league can fix it. Um, Jerry Jones reacted to the thing, and he was like uh, – he thinks it's good for the league, actually, that the Cowboys play on Thanksgiving every year. Of course, naturally, he thinks his own team having an unfair advantage is good for him, of course. But um, I would hope yeah. the other NFL owners of all other 30 teams, because by the way, they only need, what, 24? I think they need two-thirds of the owners, so they only need like 24. Yeah, of the I think 32. that's right. Yeah, so, okay. So let's say Detroit and Dallas don't even pass it. That's fine. Hopefully they can get enough support elsewhere in the future to kind of get that fixed, because that should be the goal. Like, we want competitive balance. Like, we want things to be a level playing field. It's not about, you know, giving the Eagles an advantage by changing this rule. It's just about like, hey, Everything should be kind of equal or the same for everyone. Last thing here, BLG, and this is something that gets Eagles fans pretty fired up. Jeffrey Lurie said that they want to return to the Kelly Green yes. alternates in 2020 for their jerseys. And listen, I have a take. Uh-oh. I have a take on the Kelly Let's Green jerseys. We didn't pound the table, so it doesn't count. All right, here, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> did you hear that? I did. I have a take. The Kelly Green jerseys are fine. They really are. They're fine. But... Frankly, the better jerseys are the ones from the early 80s that Ron Jaworski and all those guys wore that had the darker green with the gray. Mm-hmm. I love the darker green-gray combination with the with the old school helmets that had the it, it wasn't quite a Kelly green. It was a little bit of a darker green. It wasn't midnight green, but it had the green the the gray um uh the the gray eagles and uh wings in the helmet. Yeah. I I think those and frankly, you know what? Do you, did you ever notice that in Super Bowl 52, the Eagles road green uniform seemed a little less midnight green? And a little bit more regular green. Hmm. Maybe it was the lighting in Min- in Minneapolis. Yeah. I want people to take a look at that next year. Uh, I mean, uh, not next year. I want people to take a look at that when they <laughs> don't look at it right now. When they can look, wait till next year yeah, and then look at it. <laughs> wait till next year, two thousand twenty. That's when you're allowed to look. Um, no, it's. I want people to. Just, it's just, and I. It must have been the lighting in the dome, but the the green looked different, and I really liked it. I really like that color green. I, I'm not a big fan of midnight green, but I think people go way overboard on the Kelly green. There's a reason they got rid of it, and it just mm. I, I I think it's fine. It's not bad. I don't think it's ugly, so it's I'm not throwing a fire take at anybody here. But you know, I I don't, I, and I'm a big uniform guy. I love yeah, uniforms. Same. I love colors. I love the Phillies powder blue uniforms that they play with now. I think those are fantastic. But I'm just not. I'm not big on the kelly green blg it's not it's not it's not my end all be all i'm looking at the color you're talking about with jaws 
and like Dick Vermeil and all of that. And uh, it's yeah. it's almost like a Jets uniform, really. Honestly, it's kind of like it looks like their colors a little bit, or at least it's closer. To a that. little bit. It's closer. A little bit. I that. had more gray. I like the gray. It was a little old school. I I love that. Yeah. Um. I like Kelly Green a lot, man. Like the Eagle stuff that I do own. <laughs> honestly, like it is like a Kelly Green hat. Kelly Green hats. I have a Kelly Green sweater. That is a combo circus survive sweater. Um, like I just like that color more. It just pops. Like it's more bright. It's fun. Like midnight green to me is kind of just boring. Like it's dull. Midnight green to me is. I agree with that. It, it, I agree with that. It's very much a um, staple of the time it came out, which is like what early two thousands. Like that kind of early two yeah. thousands era, where it was like, yeah, this is the future. This is cool. This is modern. But then like it didn't age well. Just kind of like. Yeah. Kind of like uh, Lincoln Financial Field a little bit, like built in the same time. Like it was cutting edge for like a very short amount of time. But I feel like the modernness of it didn't like age super well. It didn't last. It didn't have like a lasting modernness to it. And I I just I'm not a big fan. I don't love it. Um, I think it's been upgraded, you know, since they switched to like those Nike jerseys, whatever it was a couple of seasons ago. Uh, it looks, I think, a little better than it used to. The current Midnight Green. But mm-hmm. it's just not my favorite thing. And look, they're not going to change the main uniform. At least there's been no indication of that. So, you know, we don't even have to worry about that so much. But the, the more realistic thing is the alternates. You know, I've seen some people, by the way, say like, oh, they say this every year. I mean, that's not my impression. Or at least that wasn't my takeaway of what um, Lurie said. Like the fact that he put 2020 out there to me seems like that actually is some kind of hopeful deadline for them to actually have it. And they would wear... Kelly green jerseys twice a year instead of the black, presumably the all black, which like, I think I like well, that. Well, they got to get rid of the all black. The black sucks. I don't even hate it, but like, I hate the black. I, I, I hate don't it. hate it personally, but like, I'm fine with never having it again. And I'd rather have Kelly green alternates over that. I just think it would be fun, especially like a primetime game, like Monday night football. And they're wearing like bright green. I just think it would look cool under the lights at night. I just think it's a cool look. Um, it's more fun to me. Uh, I, I like Kelly green a lot. So I know people, don't like it or whatever. They don't feel as strongly. I like it a lot. I, I know it's if it's a, you know I don't care as much about it. It's if it's an alternate. You know what I mean. Two times a year, and it would be better than the black. Anything's better than the yeah. black. I hate the black uniforms because that again that was kind of like a that was kind of like a a, a mid nineties late nineties thing when when Pat Croce came in. And uh, and turn the Sixers uniforms right. into into all black, and you know that was like when black was the thing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And and you're right. It was like it was the late '90s when they changed to midnight green. I think it was actually '96 was the first year. Because remember, it was Ray Rhodes's first year, first year with the Eagles in '95. Ricky Waters' first year, they were still wearing the Kelly green, and then in '96 they switched over to the midnight green. So that's that's about the time frame we're talking about here. And you're right, it it hasn't aged it hasn't aged all that well. So. I guess you're turning me a little bit on the Kelly green. I just, I, I don't know. I <laughs> I, I think fun. people go it's a little fun. overboard with it. It is fun. I get you. I get you. I mean, every, every, every sports team in the city should wear the same colors. Like Pittsburgh does. <laughs> like Pittsburgh. Yeah. Like Pittsburgh. That's, what would that be? So what would yeah. that be if they all wore and would that, who would, <sighs> I don't know. I guess, I mean, the Sixers and Phillies kind of have similar color schemes, but the yeah. Flyers are completely unique and the Eagles are completely unique. I take that back. I wouldn't want all four all four teams to be wearing the same colors. It's the orange and black is is very is very unique to the Flyers. It is, and and the you know the eagle green, just you know when they pulled out those blue and yellow jerseys <laughs> a, a few years ago, like the throwbacks, those things were terrible. Yeah. 
And so I, I think we're just so used to eagles in green. It's just a matter of we got to find the right shade, mm-hmm. BLG. That's that's what it all comes down to. Yep. Any final thoughts before we wrap up episode 43, my friend? Uh, short thing. Antonio Brown seemed pretty interested in playing with Carson Wentz. I like that. Uh, future Hall oh, of Fame. Oh, yeah. The video. There's a yeah. wide receiver there. Um, I think that said more about the uh, Antonio Brown's interest, by the way, in the Eagles or, or Jerusalem houses, I should say, than the Eagles' interest in him, actually. Like, some people are taking that story to me, like, oh, the Eagles are super interested in him. And I mean, they did seem to have some kind yeah. of interest in him, but I think, I almost think Drew Rosenhaus was more interested in getting Antonio Brown to the Eagles than necessarily the Eagles were acquiring him. So um, that was a little interesting thing, but ultimately, obviously, it's done now. He's, he's yeah. to the Raiders. And the other thing, <laughs> the Phillies, man, the Phillies are back. It's awesome. I love it. Uh, opening day Amen, bro. was so exciting. The McCutcheon leadoff home run. The Michael Franco hit the home run. And then just Reese. The Reese thing, again, I already said it earlier, but I was just like, man, it's just so disrespectful. Like, how are you going to walk Bryce Harper just to, to get to Reese Hoskins and be like, oh, yeah, like, we're going to get Reese out? Like, no, you're not. He's going to hit a grand slam on you. He's going to make you look <laughs> stupid. So uh, love Reese. Love yeah. the Phillies. Glad they're back. It's so much fun. Um, it's just going to be great. Like, you know, this is a football podcast, but, and, and I know not everyone loves all four Philly sports teams, but if you do love the Eagles and you do love the Phillies, or even if you don't love the Phillies, but like you're thinking about maybe getting into it, just, just do it. Just try it. Because I think baseball is a nice compliment to football in the sense of like, there's not a lot of as much, I mean, obviously the Eagles is traded for Jordan Howard. So there's some stuff going on and there's the draft. There's things going on in the offseason, but there's going to be dead times. Like yesterday on Wednesday, there wasn't a lot going on. And there's going to be some dead periods. And when you have, and in the summer, like in July, when there's going to be nothing yeah. going on, there's going to be dead times. So when you're looking to fill some of that time, you can just turn the Phillies on and it'll be nice. And it'll help you get quicker to the football season. Like you'll be caught up in baseball. You'll be <laughs> yeah. excited. And then football comes back and then you're set. So I'm glad baseball is back. It's fun. Go Phils. Amen, buddy. Yeah, it was, it was pretty exciting. And um, I, I, we're going to have a, I'm going to have a, um, a hit and season podcast uh, talking about uh, opening day and uh, looking back at the, uh, at the phenomenal action that took place uh, at Citizens Bank Park on Thursday. So um, after you're done listening to this podcast and you're not subscribed to the good fight podcast feed, make sure you do that and uh, get the latest uh, episode of hit and season. I'll break down everything that happened on opening day. Um, but in the meantime, make sure that you are subscribing to the bleeding green nation podcast feed. If you're not already. And um, if you do subscribe, but you haven't left a five star rating and a review, you yet please make sure you do that uh and um again tell a friend if they're eagles fans and they are not subscribed to the bleeding green nation podcast feed make sure to get them over here and get them subscribed friends that'll do it for episode number 43 of bgn radio again you can follow uh, blg on twitter at brandon gowton you can follow me on twitter at john stolness thanks everybody for tuning in we'll talk to you next time right here on bgn radio been a little too nice to y'all I got a up price on y'all. Snake eyes on dice for y'all. Shoulders on ice for y'all. Frozen. A6 all the hate. I won't get a ball today. Got lost in the ball and A's. I'm flipping the balls and flipping the A's. B-G-N.